create a process, stick to it, collect some data, and that's how you're going to jump to the next level. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Brianna Autry, and I'm joined today by Tommy Yanolis. He is the founder of Ops Analytica, and today we're going to be chatting about how to reduce ops expenses without sacrificing customer satisfaction. Now, this is a topic I think is relevant to anyone working in operations, whether they're at the COO level, just starting their career in ops. I think reducing expenses is a huge way, especially in today's world with the recession layoffs, that ops can provide value, that ops has always provided value. So I'm really excited to have Tommy here today chatting about that with all of us. In addition, we do have a live audience listening in. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. Otherwise, Tommy and I are just going to have a really interesting discussion for the next 30 minutes or so. Tell me a little bit about yourself, just a little bit of background, where you're coming into this role from, et cetera. Sure. So uh, I'm one of the co-founders of Ops Analytica, and I got into tech like so many of you all, all did with a hotel restaurant background, and then I did stand-up comedy for 10 years. So I kind of fell into tech in that I was working at Quiznos back when Quiznos was one of the largest restaurant chains in the country. And I was asked to help uh, report on our auditing, which is when you go visit the restaurants. And I ended up building an auditing platform for like the 2008, 2009 Palm Windows phones. Like iPhone had just kind of came out, but it wasn't like, you know, crazy yet. And we needed a way to like get off paper and get into digital. And so I ended up coding a little platform for that. And then that kind of just took my career out of like entertainment and restaurants and kind of turned it towards tech. You know, we started this company in 2015 and it basically was a complete rebuild of what I built in Quiznos at 08, or at least that idea was what founded um, Ops Analytica today. So, but real quick, my mom was a, worked at Lockheed and my dad was a rocket scientist. So the reality is, is that like, I wasn't a, like a strange attack, even though I was in the restaurant industry, you know? Yeah. You weren't a total novice. And I think the restaurant industry is a great example of operations at so many levels and how it can affect all areas of the business. Anyone who's worked in a restaurant or even eaten at one has experienced some issue that operations can solve, right? Absolutely. And the reality is, is that the restaurant industry gets a lot of like guff for being so far behind technologically, but just the pandemic itself drove them so fast into technology. And I do think a lot of that old guard mentality that, hey, we've always done it this way is just kind of retiring. And so it's kind of a neat time to be in that industry. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I want to touch on more of that in a minute, but I, I want to talk about your stand-up comedy career because we've never had someone on the podcast who was a stand-up comic before. So I got to ask, you know, who have you opened for? What was it like? Why did you get into it? So I was like really into stand-up, like 95 to 05. And I worked at a club called The Comedy Works, but I did work at Rooster Tea Feathers a bunch. My friend owns Rooster Tea Feathers out in... Uh, San Jose. 
So I got into it because I was class clown in high school. I was just like this goofy, hyper, funny person, kind of, you know, like the, the guy at the party. And I had a great friend named Allison. And I was like getting my butt kicked in my first job out of college. And I remember going, man, I should just be a stand-up comp. It'd be so much easier. And she's like, dude, you're 23. You don't want to be 40 with a wife and kids and a mortgage, which now I'm 50 and I have all those things. <laughs> and, and like... And regret that in your 20s when you had none of that, you didn't try. And so I just literally like went, I'm going to try. Found an open mic. was on stage three weeks later. was like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then I just kind of did that for 10 years. And I was lucky because I was in the restaurant industry. And so I was able to always have a job because I was good at the restaurants. So I could always work and wait tables or manage whatever. And it kind of just kept me going for those years. And the big guys I opened for, Larry the Cable Guy, Dave Chappelle, Brian Regan, you know, all these big guys, uh, Dave Attell. If, you, if they were popular in the late 90s, early 2000s, they probably came through our home club and I probably opened for them. That's a crazy claim to fame that you opened for Dave Chappelle. That's insane. Oh, I know. And I opened for him pre a uh, half bait. Really? Yeah. Like, was, that, I, was that pre Chappelle show then? Oh, yeah. Like 97. Yeah. Oh, I my goodness. And like hung out with them. And then I had this new assistant that I had just hired for my job. Her name's Eva. And she one of the jobs we had was driving the comics to radio because I also worked at the comedy club. Mm-hmm. And literally she took him to radio and he offered her a job to be his personal assistant that day. And wow. like she was friends with him. and she ended up being Chelsea Handler's personal assistant later. Like she Jeez. just. Yeah. But he, yeah, he was cool. And he would come to the green room, like post Africa, like after Chappelle's show. Yeah. And he was just so chill and nice. And, yeah. you know, cause he did a lot in San Fran, but Denver's another one of his hometowns where he likes to go do two hour shows and six a night type of thing, you know? Yeah. I lived in the Bay and he would always like drop in so quickly that I would always miss the tickets because he wouldn't announce his, he wouldn't even promote his show. He would just show up. And then I was always like, crap, I missed him again. So I never got to see him. My wife slept through like two of his shows because we were always in at like midnight and she's like, I can't stay awake. And she'd fall asleep on my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) You're probably the only person who's who can say that about a show. Because she was free. So she was just like, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So, so post stand up comedy, you're at Quiznos, you develop this system. You just you realize, okay, this can actually apply across the board. And then you build a startup around that. So in between that, my buddy, so Semantic had a workflow product called Semantic Workflow. They had bought it through an acquisition. And so I had a buddy who had a company where he worked at a company where he was doing Semantic Workflow mm. and he got hired by Semantic because it was such a new product. And it was how they used their workflow product to sell a lot of their large enterprise deals because they would be like, well, it doesn't do it out of the box, but you can do it with workflow, making mm-hmm. it seem like to the end user that it was just like a, a already built thing when they didn't realize we had to actually code out, you know, a process to do that. And so, cause I got an MBA in there too. He was yeah. like, Hey, Hey, take this job, right. And become a workflow guy. And he's like, by the way, this company is kind of shaky, but like, cause it was a, like, it was just like a, you know, a partner. But yeah. he was like, you know, whatever. And we ended up buying that partner. So we ended up doing an earn out there and we mm-hmm. got that management out. And then we, we had our own company for like five years. And so even though we were like eight people, 
we had clients like the World Bank and Visa and Wells Fargo and Jeez. Comcast and Young Healthcare because we did this one thing, which was build custom processes to integrate usually IT and large security platforms together. You know what I mean? Mm. So, so like in 2013, I had an employee who was like kind of on the cutting board and I was like, okay, you need to build some software and show me you know how to do this. And I had him build the software I built at Quiznos and I had him do it in the workflow platform. And then we made a little, you know, explainer video and I threw it on LinkedIn and a sub chain out of Texas called me uh, that couple hundred units. They're like, we want to buy this. And I'm like, it's kind of a consulting project in a video right now. But they were like, oh, we really need this. So then the next two years, I did probably 50 all-nighters, nights and weekends, working on building out the platform on that workflow base. And then and I got it into 18 restaurants on the East Coast. And, and then in 2014, Semantic was kind of going towards the cloud. They were getting rid of their like sort of like on-prem workflow thing. And we just decided it's probably a good time for us to exit this space. Mm -hmm. And I wanted, I was also tired of building brand new processes every single, every six months for some new client. That's really hard. It's not scalable either, right? Exactly. And you're always working with business people who don't know how to like discipline themselves to code software correctly. And it's hard to say no. This is a lot to that. And I was like, I just want to make one thing great. You know, I just want to make one thing awesome. And SaaS was becoming a thing. I mean, even back then, they weren't in the cloud yet. Like the cloud, we all think that this stuff's been around for 50 years. Yeah, it it really has not. Seven years ago, the cloud wasn't even that big of a deal. You know, you still want hardware. You still have your own data center and you still you still got software and hoped you could install it, you know? We just kind of jumped into that world, right? Yeah. Where we were like, okay, we're going to just do one thing. And actually our first version, like our pre-version one was the old workflow version while we were recoding that into a new thing to the next version, you know? Got it. Okay. That's how we got there. That's how yeah. you got there. That's yeah. a, I mean, I love hearing a founder's story. I'm a sucker for it, especially because it's like it always comes from this like need that you just couldn't ignore that you had to solve, you know. So and I love that you sort of packaged it into a scalable product. I want to, again, just like touch on like what exactly does Ops Analytica do before I move forward with our discussion here? So we are an operations analytics platform. So basically what we do is help our clients manage their team members and their team members doing all those repeatable processes, which is their daily operations. And we also help them measure that team member activity because generally it's really easy to like measure and report off of a POS system or a server or, you know, any kind of technical thing, a manufacturing connect a device that's manufacturing that's connected. But the black hole of data in all businesses has always been, what's Bob doing right now? Is Bob doing what he's supposed to be doing, you know? Because what Bob's doing is important to us selling something, and nobody knows what that is. And so we do that by providing, like, scheduled checklists and tasks for people to do on a daily basis that are repeatable, that they can go in and use a phone or a tablet to kind of go through and say, Hey, did you check this? Did you check that? Is this ready to go? What did that taste like? Or, you know, have you made sure everyone's safe? All those operational things that allow companies to 
sell and deliver their products and services uh, to their clients. And so we just help manage that stuff. And that's all we do. Like we just say laser focused on that. Yep. That's the move. You can't go too broad, especially in today's world. So I want to dig into our topic, which is sort of reducing ops expenses without sacrificing customer satisfaction. So in your opinion, what are the two biggest operational costs? I think the first one is employees or team members that don't follow the company's processes the way they're supposed to be. And then the second part of that is it's all of the lost sales and profits and customer satisfaction because those customers didn't get the experience that the brand and the marketing and the advertising promised them. Right. And they're there because I mean, in every industry, there's maybe one or two specific things that are costing them. But as a whole, you know, 90% of the bad experiences people have with our products, goods and services, whatever they are, are things that we've identified that we know are something that we need to do well. We need to control what we can control so that our so that we can deliver on our brand promise and our advertising promise and and give the people the product that they think they're buying, right? And that they expect to get. And it can be that the employee's bad. Sure, that that sometimes happens, right? That you have a bad employee. But oftentimes, it's really that there's just so much nuance and detail in those processes and that people are trying to rely off of memory versus having a system that kind of tells them, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, right? Or at least check those 10 things. Like if you think about a restaurant, we're all familiar with restaurants and we have a lot of restaurant clients, right? Like how often do you go in there and like the person comes over the counter and starts hitting you with a spatula? Then that was your bad experience. That's like (laughs) every thousand restaurant experience. Yeah. But most of the time you like walk on a sticky floor and then your boots got crumbs on it and the bathroom was a little dirty and the table was sticky and then your the waiter didn't get your order exactly right and it's not any one of those items or one of those like things wouldn't be enough to sour your experience yeah it's always sort of death by a thousand cuts right but you get Um, 10 of them on top of each other and all of a sudden you're like what am I doing here? Like this wasn't worth 150 bucks. Like what am I doing? And then you don't yeah. end up coming back, you know? And and then, by the way, we're in software, right? It's the same thing in software. If yeah. every time you go to run a report, the thing just spins for five minutes because the query is not optimized. That's right. an operational issue in your, in your tech stack, right? That's an operational issue within your operations. Or if I get an error code or I'm constantly being logged out or, you know, I ran an update on the app and now it just crashes as soon as I open it. Those kinds of things, those are all things that like operationally as SaaS providers, it's just like the dirty bathroom in the restaurant. We got to test that stuff out. We got to make sure we're doing a good job of delivering our product or service to our customer. And so I think the biggest problem is but there's just so many details and we're all moving so fast and they get email and slacks banging away at you and you got tons of emails and then, you know, our phones are addictive and the world's nuts right now. And you just miss a couple of those steps and you blow somebody's experience. And especially in restaurants, you get about three chances. You get three bad, like blah experiences. And around that third one is when like, like reporting wise that they tell us is when people start to change their purchasing behavior, right? 
Got it. And, so, and you don't know if that guy that had the bad experience, this was his third or fourth, or if it was his first. So, mm-hmm. you know, we just have to control what we can control. And because that's the only thing we can do too. Like you can't worry about labor and COVID and, you know, who's in office and what crazy stuff's happening in the world. Like right. that's always going to happen, but we, we can only control what happens in our four walls, right? What right. are we doing to be better and, and not miss key things? Like we've all been there where you make a release and then you broke something you didn't expect to break it. Oh yeah. It's fire drill to get everybody to like fix that problem and re-release in like hours. And now you got, support chats are zooming in a thousand a minute, you know, Hey, I can't oh, yeah. ask things aren't working. And you're like, ah, you know, but that was, you could control that. You just missed a step. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the adaptive ops community at operations.community. What are some ways that ops teams can manage these expenses that you're mentioning? You know, I think the first thing is like, we've already identified all this stuff. So we're not asking anybody to recreate the wheel every day. Like there's no in the world that's scalable, that doesn't have some form of process, right? The key is making sure that we're not missing things that we've already identified. You know what I mean? Yeah. As yeah. We need to do. So right there, by just being efficient at that one thing, just doing what we're supposed to do every time, we save all the extra costs of mad customers, lost sales, uh, lower profits because we have to have more customers sat people on, or you know, all those things. Like just putting some process in place, which I know you guys are a business process company too, having process in place and then making sure people are actually following the process and not what we, we call it in our industry, but it might be the same in yours, pencil whipping stuff. Like anybody can come in and like close 50 tasks, you know, and then <laughs> the process on to the next step. Right. But like that, like we get that all the time on our platform because especially in restaurants, people have so many checklists and they don't want to do them. And so many checklists. So they're just like, yes, 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 yes. And I can, and I track that by the way. And I know when they're pencil whipping and I can identify that, but like, you know, not just pencil whipping it, but actually going physically and checking, was this correct? Because it's the guy who's pencil whipping it is giving you this false sense of confidence that the process is moving forward properly but at the same time, they're not actually doing the work. And then a month from now, when the customer is pissed off, what happened? Well, Bob said yes to the task, you know. And that's the other problem, too, is a lot of this management, you know, what do they always tell you about feedback? It's got to be timely and it's got to be right then and there. Well, you can hide behind some of these processes. And then are you really going to go yell at Bob for what he did a month and a half ago? Probably not, you know. So Bob's getting a lot of flack, I have to say. He's like the Karen. Bob is a terrible employee. Yeah, you just that Bob man. Just gotta get rid of him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Awesome. So you focus a lot on the customer experience. So how do you work that in if you're trying to reduce labor costs? Like, don't more people equal a more satisfied customer? Uh, No, I think 
I think people that are doing the job they're supposed to do well equals a better customer experience. And yeah. I mean, you know, there's that new book. I have to go look at my Audible, but I don't want to like obviously like start paying attention to that. But it's all about the adaptive work environment in the future. It's a it was a big you know tech bestseller. And, you know, I think in the future, you know, we already see it today. It's human beings and technology working together to accomplish something. Right. And I think as technology gets more interesting with robots and more automation, you know, humans will be managing some of those processes. But like, you know, having more bodies doesn't necessarily equal a better experience. Have you ever been to a restaurant that's training and they've got every single person in there? Like maybe it's like an opening weekend and there's like 50 people back there and then, nobody like there's five people on the counter versus one. So yeah. nobody actually takes the initiative to get you your hamburger that's sitting behind them and hand it to right. you. Yep. Don't know who's supposed to do it. They don't want to step on anyone's toes. And also when you have five people, it's like those guys on the side of the highway, like you got the whole watcher and then you got the guy watching the guy watching the whole watch, you know, like, <laughs> you know, part, I think a, a large part of employee satisfaction is actually being busy you know, yes, yes. I've waited a lot of tables and I've worked in a lot of kitchens just in general. It's and the I've worst when the restaurant's empty and you have one table. It's boring, right? Oh, yeah. And it's not just boring for the waiter who's only making two or minimum wage. It's boring for the cooks. Yeah. Everybody's bored. And then you get the worst experience because everyone's out back smoking and nobody's paying attention to anything. And it's the, yeah. it's the worst. And so, you know, like we always talk about staffing and staffing and staffing. And obviously when you're like four or five people down on like a 10 person shift or your department's half full, that makes it harder, but it also you just have to prioritize better. Right. And just mm. focus on the things that matter, I guess. I don't even know if I answered that question, but <laughs> we'll go I, think, with that. I mean, yeah, more people does not equal a more satisfied customer. It's the processes that you have in place that does not mean that processes replace people, right? So it's no. a it's a it's a sort of relationship between people and processes that makes operations successful. Well, yeah, and I want to tag one thing to that too, which is that processes and systems, like yes, people hate doing checklists. They don't enjoy it. They feel like I'm I've been doing this 50 years. I, I already have all this experience. I don't need to right. use this tool, but they're that's like their own arrogance and their memory playing tricks on them. Like I always talk about this in the context of restaurants again, but like you being a, a restaurant manager for 30 years does not mean that you can divine that that sauce tastes right or that, that that cooler is the right temperature. You still have to physically go look at that. And experience is like we, we had to rely on experience because we didn't have data, right? Yeah. So when you had no easy access to data, in you know the past i mean way back then like early 2000s late 90s right, right. you know like in, in the prehistoric times you had to rely on somebody's experience because you didn't have data and you needed them to kind of uh, you know use their in- intuition to figure out what that was actually happening and like i said earlier we're one of the first like platforms that's giving you know people data on what's actually the human beings really doing at their job yeah you know it's those light studies that that guy did in the twenties where he was like manufacturing and he put lights on and you could see how his hands were moving and if it was efficient or not. And so you have like that, that gap. 
So you had to have intuition and experience and you had to pay for that. But systems and processes trump experience. And in the yep. world we live in today where you've had so many people exiting so many industries and kind of finding their passion and becoming bloggers and, you know, whatever, like we need people, we need data because if we have systems, processes and data, those three things together, we can take a bad manager and make them passable and we can take a passable manager and we can make them great, you know, and we everybody's decision making process easier because we don't have to guess like, well, what are we doing? 97. I don't remember. I'm 20. You know what I mean? Like I was born in two. You no clue. So that that's how it all kind of comes together. You know, a really good point is taking the guesswork out of processes in your day to day and automating that creates a better manager because they're allowed to free up their mind to think more strategically. Absolutely. Because they know that it's like, have you ever listened to getting things done? He just talks about how you never worry about where you're supposed to be or what meeting you're supposed to be on because we all use Outlook or some sort of digital calendar. So you don't stress about that because you handle that because it's so easy. But like we need to apply that kind of principle of like a system that we can utilize for all parts of our jobs. Because if you just know, like I can go look at a dashboard and see that everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing, then I can actually take on that project that adds value. But if I'm chasing everybody down and going to everyone's cube to figure out what's going on, then I'm blowing up my day and I'm not getting any work done, you know? Yeah. And it's not scalable either, either, right? So if someone doesn't have the authority to make these like big decisions within the business, but still wants to reduce ops expenses, how would you suggest they approach that? Like many of our listeners are early on in their ops career, many are late, but for someone who doesn't necessarily is maybe in a larger org and doesn't have that authority. You know, if you can't go out and like buy technology to solve this problem, right, which is basically I think what you're saying, but you still want to make things more efficient, you can still build processes and manage to them. You just, you know, you can do it like like the entire world has done it forever is you just put it on paper and you just manage to the process. The problem is paper is a horrible is like a black hole for data and accountability. And you can only utilize the, you're only going to get the results that you're going to have when you're there actually doing that management. Right. Right. So like, and once again, I I keep using restaurants as an example because everybody's been to restaurants and everyone's been to chain restaurants and they know what we're talking about, but like, you know, the chain restaurant industry has run from day one on paper taped to the wall and these things called red books, which are just all your little checklists in a red book. Mm-hmm. And, and they're notorious for never being done or followed unless the manager is actively managing it. So right. that's where the software comes in. The software takes over that role of the manager and provides the accountability, but most importantly, the visibility from other from people above the location to actually see what's happening at the location. But you can still have good systems and processes in place uh, in your job if you're there to manage them. But then don't be surprised if you go on a week's vacation and no one did anything while you were gone because they will <laughs> gravitate yep. the least amount of work. Yeah, because you know? they're gonna yeah, they're gonna focus on, oh, they're not here, so we might as well not do it. Yeah, that makes sense. So continuing on this thread of someone looking to sort of progress their career in ops, do you have any advice for someone looking to move forward in their career in ops? Any resources that you would recommend they use? You know, 
yeah. When I got to Quiznos, I was in the worst job humanly possible. My first job there was I ran the franchise assistance program in the yeah. 08 financial collapse in the largest franchise implosion in history. So, you know, it was a good job. I was the guy you called when you were about to go out of business. So it was just, mm. you know, all day long sob stories. Hey, I need $5,000. They're going to shut me down type of you can't call me today. Like, I don't have five, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm a little late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like it's not going to happen, man. Sorry. But like, then I moved into ops and what got me there was what, why I was able to get promoted when they went from 500 employees down to 80 and I actually got promoted and moved into ops again uh, out of that job was because I was putting in place systems and processes. And this is before I did workflow, right? Mm. It's just mm-hmm. how my brain, I guess, thinks. And so if you're early in your ops career, you know, anything that you can do that put in systems in place and to try to collect data, no matter how you end up doing it, if you don't have the authority to go buy a workflow platform like you guys have or a checklist platform like I have, you can start with an Excel and a Google Sheet or a Microsoft form or whatever, and you can at least start showing that you know how to systematize things because operate. It's 1,000% about process. And if you can come in and make unique processes, even if they're not like the ideal way you would do it with tasks and emails being kicked off and all this automation, and you can show that the decision that you're making as a junior employee or even an entry-level manager is based on some form of data that you collected, that's it. That's what's going to show your boss, hey, man, this guy's worth or gal is worth moving up here because they get what we're doing. Because 1000% all operations is just managing repeatable process to scale and taking care of what we want to need to do. And I think what saved my job at Quiznos, because like I said, we went from like 480 people to 80 was that I built on that because I had to like, when I was doing franchise assistance, I had to like come up with a reason why I would give somebody assistance or not. I built a scorecard. And mm-hmm. I put all this data into an Excel and I reviewed their, I, you know, and I put scoring on like their financial debt and like their like income statements. And did they even have an account anymore? Like I made a survey and I scored it. And then I would be able to go to my boss and say, we can't give this person help, but we can give this person help. But I could back it up with the data that I like hand collected from them and mm-hmm. put into my matrix. So it wasn't software based at that point. It was just yeah. me figuring something out. So Create a process, stick to it, collect some data, and that's how you're going to jump to the next level. Because awesome, yeah, awesome. Totally. We're running out of time. This has been an incredible discussion. I know I could talk to you forever. Um, so, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to follow up and chat one on one? Oh, by the way, totally would love that. Uh, you'll have my name in the show notes, but uh, you can get me on LinkedIn. Just message me. Um, or you can go to opsanalytica.com. It's spelled O-P-S-A-N-A-L-I-T-I-C-A.com. And you can get on the chat and, you know, you can just say, hey, I want to talk to Tommy and someone will get it to me and we can chat. Um, or you can email me, Tommy at opsanalytica.com. But uh, I love to meet everybody, man. Like my job now as a founder, like we're at a point where we have people doing stuff and I'm not mm-hmm. really in the day as much. My job is to find new verticals and use cases where we might mm-hmm. be able to help people. Like, and that's the, what feeds my, feeds me because, 
you know, if you build software, if you're in any part of building software, you build it, then you're amazed that people are using it. Then a lot <laughs> of people are using it. You're like, oh my God, yeah. I can't believe it. And they pay me for this. But then it gets to a point of, okay, well, we know how it does it over here, but how could I help you make a sailboat? How could I help you run a better lumber mill? I don't know. Right. But I want to learn what you're doing. Like I'm working right now with a guy who recycles paint. And we're about to put in all kinds of cool little processes just to track and capture numbers. And it's like, I got stains on my shoes from walking around his factory, but it's like the funnest part of my day is to go over there and like, see what he does, you know, do something new. Yeah. Ops permeates all areas of the world. Right. And we get no respect and nobody wants to do like, what they do to do. So just don't, don't let get people no respect. We don't we're like Rodney Dangerfield out here. Everyone wants to talk about marketing and advertising. Oh, it's marketing sector. Yeah. Oh, we're driving sales. Well, guess what? Like you can drive a million people in here, but if ops it sucks, it, yeah, it's not going to work. And you and you didn't make any money. So you're tell pretty, us you know, points in those your lips to God's ears, Tommy. Um, <laughs> yeah. On that note, I'll let you go. Thanks so much. Thanks for everyone who listened in to another episode of Modern Business Operations, and we'll see you guys all next time. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Hope talk to some of you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 